0: Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 11. We're going to finish up this chapter this morning and talk about the authority of Jesus. You know, one thing you can see when you read the Gospels, throughout the whole Gospel, Jesus never allowed anyone to question his authority in a derogatory way, to discredit it or to doubt it. His authority was always held in supreme a a supreme place in his mind. He never felt obligated to even answer questions about it, really. He did, but he didn't feel obligated. He never felt like he had to defend himself or justify himself. Um, And he did answer at times because of grace, grace. So this morning in this passage, we're going to see how throughout the whole gospel of Mark, there's been evidence of who Jesus is and what's he going to do and why he came, but some refuse to see it. And so in this particular instance, which is recorded in three of the four Gospels, we see how Jesus turns their trap of words into, around on them and, and, and into a thing that points to their refusal to accept his authority, their absolute outright refusal. So follow along as I read verses 27 through 33 of chapter 11. They came to Jerusalem. As he was walking in the temple, the chief priests... The scribes and the elders came and asked him, "'By what authority are you doing these things? "'Who gave you this authority to do these things?' "'Jesus said to them, "'I will ask you one question. "'Then answer me, and I will tell you "'by what authority I do these things. "'Was John's baptism from heaven or from human origin? "'Answer me.' "'They discussed it among themselves.' If we say from heaven, he will say, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they were afraid of the crowd because everyone thought that John was truly a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the authority that you gave Jesus. And by that authority, we have salvation. There's no questioning it. There's no doubting it. There's no second-guessing it. There's no quibbling about it. You made it clear, Father. Now let's speak to our hearts this morning and guide our thoughts, and after this, to guide our actions. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the religious leaders, that's this group of men, these religious leaders confront Jesus about his authority to clear the temple, which he did a a few Sundays ago in our sermon. He's cleared the temple, um, and they're coming to him and saying, "Who, who gave you this authority to do this? But Jesus uses these questions as kind of a launching point for a debate and exposes their unbelief at the same time. So when anyone sees or hears From the authority of Jesus, all of us, everyone, everyone is called to believe and obey. Everyone is expected to believe and obey the authority of Jesus Christ. There's no way to get out of it. One day, everybody will. So where did they miss the authority of Jesus? And and another question we can ask this morning, how did we miss it? How do we miss the authority of Jesus at times in our lives? Well, the authority of Jesus is missed when the evidence is missed or rejected, So first, let's look at the evidence that Jesus is referring to here. Jesus uses John's ministry, John the Baptist's ministry, as evidence of his authority. Let me read verses 27 through 30 again, so you'll know where I'm talking about. They came again to Jerusalem. That's Jesus and his disciples. They came again to Jerusalem. As he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came and asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was John's baptism from heaven or of human origin? Answer me. Okay, so this is Wednesday of Passion Week, okay? Triumphal entry was probably on Monday, not Sunday, although we we have some debate about that. But this is Wednesday of Passion Week. He's two days out from the cross, and he's strolling around in the temple, enjoying some quiet because he run all the animals out. It's probably peaceful in there now. There's no squawking birds. There's no cows and lowing sheep. There's none of that going on. And they're just enjoying the quiet. Now, this is right after his lesson to the disciples on prayer, faith, and forgiveness, which we talked about last week. He's finished that lesson as they were traveling after they saw the withered fig tree. They get to Jerusalem. They go in the temple. The quiet is wonderful. And then all of a sudden, the quiet is shattered by this, these Three groups of leaders. These men are basically a cross-section of what's known as the Sanhedrin, the ruling Jewish religious authorities. The chief priests, the scribes, or the teachers of the law, and then the elders who are a group of men that are just in a leadership positive role. It's very political. Um, The chief priests were descendants of Aaron, so it's kind of determined by lineage. But the other two groups... The scribes were mostly made up of Pharisees, and we're all familiar with that term. So they come up here, and they confront Jesus with two questions, which really are the same question or will have the same answer. They may not be the same exact question, and they don't really realize it's got the same answer. Um, And this is a normal debate ploy. Bombard your opponent with lots of questions. Bombard your opponent with questions so that they're confused about what they're actually answering. And it's meant to back someone into a corner. It's meant to kind of get them befuddled, if you will, and confused about what they're going to say. And the reason is Jesus has now become their opponent because he cleared the temple. He got all the riffraff out of the temple, all the profiteering out of the temple. By doing the righteous thing, Jesus has now become their foe. So they're attacking his authority, and that's their strategy. They're seeking to discredit Jesus and, and push him to a point, really, of blasphemy. That's what they're trying to get him to do. And if Jesus had said to their question, well, God gave me the authority, then they would have been able to say, well, that's blasphemous, and they could have brought him up on charges and tried him. But he didn't say that. He countered like Jesus typically does. He had figured out their motives and knew where to go with this. So he asked them a question. And now this is not being evasive or rude or disrespectful. I mean, we always say don't answer a question with a question, right? It's kind of rude. But not in, when you're debating. As a matter of fact, this is actually a teaching technique of the rabbis. They would, they would ask another question when someone asked them a question to force you to dig a little deeper into the topic. It caused the student or the debater to look harder at the topic for some sort of resolution. It's a normal teaching method of the, of the rabbis at this time. So, Jesus asked them about John the Baptizer's ministry, his message, what he said, his, his baptism, his message, his ministry. Was it from God, or was it just from his, something he decided to do, something he wanted to do? You know, Jesus is asking this because he's wanting them to answer what authority did you think John the Baptist had? And Jesus calls them to answer. And then he will reveal the, the source of his authority, which really by his question to them already has. Okay, So he's already kind of revealed to them. But well, watch what they do in the next point. Because the evidence of who Jesus is and the evidence of what he is going to do has already been abundantly clear in Scripture his teachings and his actions up to this point have made it perfectly crystal clear who gave him the authority. All of the Gospels. And, and we have to remember that this is a point in the, in the timeline and all the other Gospels are feeding this point. So we're going to look at w- what Jesus has been teaching since he started teaching two years earlier. Or nearly three years earlier at this point. First of all, in Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27, he says, all things have been handed over to me by the Father. John 3:35. the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. I mean, Jesus has already said this clear as a bell. And the crowd says in Mark 1, 22, and they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. In the same chapter of Mark, a new teaching with authority, they say. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, Get up, take your mat, and walk. And then in John 5, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And that Son of Man term, the Jews understood perfectly clear. It's a reference back to Daniel in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, that that is the Messiah. That will be the Messiah. It's clear Jesus has taught from the very beginning that his authority has come from God. There shouldn't be any second-guessing it. He's answered it. He's demonstrated it. They just chose to ignore it. Or they just chose to use it as a point to argue with Jesus and possibly argue. Corner him. So Jesus is right to ask this question about John, who ministered from the same authority. Jesus never says there's two separate authorities here. Remember what Jesus said about John. Matthew 11, verses 7 through 11. He says, As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. And he asked this, What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. See, if they had accepted John's authority and that it was from God, they would have known the source of Jesus's authority. They had two examples. They had two people feeding the answer to the question, but they really weren't about getting to an answer. They were trying to trap Jesus but as the song said that we sang earlier this morning morning the evidence is clear the evidence is clear why would they ask such questions because their motives are all wrong you know we all question authority (laughs) we do it in subtle ways we do it in sometimes blatant ways Um, sometimes the lights behind us and while we're driving down the street tell us we've rejected authority for a moment And usually when we reject authority, here it will result in maybe a reprimand or some sort of consequence. But if you reject Jesus' authority, if you disregard the authority of Jesus Christ, you will suffer eternal punishment in hell. That's the problem with rejecting Jesus'. And Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All means all, okay? Doesn't mean part, doesn't mean a portion, all of it. Jesus is very clear, and we need to remember those words. We need to remember those words when questions about Jesus' validity comes up in our life. He has all authority. Our behavior, our actions, our testimonies must come from the authority of Christ. His truth must be our guide because it comes with authority. We don't depend on the world's version of authority. When we start trying to run our churches, when we start trying to, to, to act as a church in the way the world acts, we are undermining Jesus' authority. We should not force anyone. We should not coerce anyone. We should not react like the world reacts to when something doesn't go their way. Let me give you an example. Since the leak about Roe versus Wade came out from the Supreme Court and that it's going to be overturned and that abortion will be federally illegal across our country many pro-life and many pregnancy life centers have been attacked vandalized some of them even destroying property and the one thing I'm discovering out there as I read on Twitter and other places there is an anger that sees in the secular world against evangelicals those of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ they're angry with us Because the world knows not why this court is reversing their ruling. They blame us. They blame us. Um, As if we swayed the court. You know, the, the U.S. Supreme Court doesn't go on popularity or popular opinion. They look at precedent. They look at law. They make decisions upon fact. The people of this world that are against this are looking for a scapegoat. They're looking for someone to blame, and we're an easy target. Let me tell you what's really going on here. The truth, the absolute truth about life has finally triumphed over the lies that the world has lived out. The lies about rights, the lies about conveniences. It's won. It's winning. Preborn life is life. And the US Supreme Court has finally learned and accepted and acted on what we have always known as believers in Jesus Christ, that life begins in the womb. We know this because we live under the authority of Jesus Christ, the creator of all life. And his word has guided our knowledge. That's why we've stood up against it. We submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ, which tells us that life begins at conception. And that life life is worth saving. So maybe it is our fault, because I know that ever since I found out about this in in 1982, I have prayed constantly that God would open the eyes of this country, that people would see that they are killing innocent children. So maybe it is our fault. Maybe we finally prayed enough. Keep praying, because we're going to need it, because it's going to get harder. Now, don't get too happy with yourself and say, wow, look what we did, because here's where I want to take this. The submission to authority, Jesus's authority, it's got to guide every aspect of our life. We can pick these topics out of the air and go, oh, we're going to stand up for this or stand against that or whatever. But let me tell you about your own heart. You have to submit that heart to Jesus's authority every day, every day. It doesn't happen automatically. Our our sinful nature wars against that authority. Jesus says, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Give aid to those who despise you. He tells us to go and tell the gospel. Spread the seeds of the gospel anywhere we can. He tells us to support those who are out there seeking the lost and unreached people groups. Jesus says, forgive. Jesus says, have faith. Jesus says, pray. Pray. Jesus says, give, he says, obey, he says, fast, and so on and so on. And his authority governs all of that too. Okay? And so if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we have committed to submitting to that authority. As followers of Jesus Christ, he commands us to do the good works he prepared in advance ahead of time for us to do. Those 12 children learned that verse, Ephesians 2.10, this week. He prepared us to do this. He called us to do these good things. And that's submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ. So submit to his will. It's not as burdensome as you think it is. Submit to his will and you will have the abundant life that Jesus promised. in John, he expects us to obey. And that's the authority we live under as believers in Jesus Christ. So, Jesus' authority has been obvious during the beginning. Okay? During his ministry, it's been very obvious who gave him the authority he has. Yet, many have seen and do not accept it. They just flat out reject it. So, let's look at number, point number two this morning. Unbelievers deny the evidence by self deceit. Verses 31 through 33. Let me read that for you again. They discussed it among themselves. If we say from heaven, he will say, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they were afraid of the crowd because everyone thought that John was truly a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now they begin to debate amongst themselves the answer to Jesus's question. Let me make it really clear to you this morning. Absolute truth is never, ever, ever, ever debatable. Absolute truth is never debatable. They can debate, but they're really ba- debating against a brick wall. They really only had one choice. Believe that Jesus' authority came from God and accept his message. So listen, listen to their reasoning here. If we say this, then this will happen. If we say that, then that will happen. I mean, they're just debating this. They're so worried. We don't like either outcome. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? You know, we do the same thing in our head, by the way. (laughs) We have discussions with ourselves like that. But Jesus's counterpoint here, when he asked this question about John's baptism, his counterpoint puts them square in a crossroads. Now they've got to make a choice. Now they've got to make a decision. And they had a choice at this point. They could say yes or no. They could say from God or from human origin. They could have said either one. And you know what, in w- when you're debating, the debate rules requires integrity. Most people who have official debates, they agree to a certain set of rules. And one of those is that when you make a valid point, when it's logical and acceptable, the other person doesn't just deny it flat out with no proof. You have to accept it. That's the rules in debate. That's integrity of the debate. And when debaters fail to keep their integrity, the discussion loses all of its credibility. Well, that's exactly what's happening right here. We don't know. That's a lie. They did know. They just didn't want to admit it. They didn't want to pick an answer. That answer is not forthcoming in their, for, their, for their own case. It runs counter to the de- rules of debate. And the answer is so weak... And unauthoritative, it accomplishes nothing. It renders all of their efforts here to trap Jesus meaningless. If they'd given an answer, any answer, it would allow the debate to go on a little further. It would allow more discussion. But Jesus knew their hearts would not allow them to accept that God gave John authority. And he knew their hearts would not run counter to the crowd's opinion of John the Baptist. Matter of fact, Luke records in this account, in this event, he said they were afraid that the crowd would stone them. That's how fearful they were of the crowd, which to me says, well, then they're really not leaders like they claim to be. There's no authority in their leadership if they're afraid of the crowd. Their leadership, their authority has been hamstrung by their fear of the crowd's opinion. Their fake authority was revealed wide open right there. And what they feared, they feared the truth, and they feared the popular opinion. That's not a very good place to be when you're debating the Messiah. You don't need to be in, that, in, in between those two. But here's the, here's the sad thing about it. You know, as comical sometimes as the way they avoided Jesus' questions and Jesus' counterpoints, a little faith right then, a little faith would have solved their dilemma a little bit of faith would have dissolved the debate. If they'd have believed that God sent John the Baptist, if they'd have believed that Jesus was sent by God Almighty, the debate would have gone away. There wouldn't have been opponents. And that faith could have saved their souls. When grace enters a heart, the person sees the beautiful and obvious truth that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But their fear kept them blind, completely blind to the evidence that they had seen and and heard before. They deceived themselves about the truth of Jesus' authority. It's a very sad condition to be in when you can continue to convince yourself that Jesus isn't who he said he was. And it really started when these leaders were confronted by Jesus a couple of days earlier when he cleared the temple. These leaders, he had confronted them. And when he did, he quoted a passage out of Isaiah 56 about this should be a house of prayer for all nations. If you pull up that chapter, Isaiah 56, and you read a little bit further past those, starting with verse 10, here's the way God described these men 600 years before it happened. His watchmen are blind. All of them know nothing. All of them are mute dogs, unable to bark. Dreamers lying down who love to slumber. And the dogs are greedy. They are not satisfied. And they are shepherds who have no understanding. They've all turned to their own way. Each one to his unjust gain. To the last one. That describes these men right here to a T. Their hearts were hard. Their hearts were hard against Christ, and that's no surprise to Jesus. They refused to believe, and they became useless shepherds, as it says, pursuing their ill-gotten gain. You know, there were some men that wrote books years ago trying to disprove Jesus Christ, trying to prove that Jesus Christ isn't who he said he was, isn't who the Bible claims he is, all those kind of things. Uh, Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel, Hugh Ross, J. Warner Wallace, they all started out writing books to disprove Jesus Christ. When they got all the evidence together, they all ended up believing in Jesus Christ. They realized they were deceived. They realized their hearts had been hard. The evidence overwhelmed them. And it validated Jesus' testimony. But some didn't believe even after reading the books. Have we refused to really accept Jesus' authority in our lives? Have we really have we refused that? Is there some item in our heart that we refuse to submit to God? To Jesus? There probably is. All of us have these little pet sins we hang on to. We need to get them out. Submit them to the authority of Jesus. And as believers in Jesus, followers, we have crucified the flesh and its desires. That's that's a calling that's on each heart of everyone who believes. Crucified our selfish desires to his authority. We cannot turn away from him. He He has dominion over our souls because he has saved us. And as part of your professional faith in Jesus Christ, you have willingly put your soul under that, if you didn't realize that. You have willingly said, I want to follow Jesus. So now what do you do? Well, the easy answer is obey. Obey. Follow what Jesus instructs us to do. Learn his ways. Live in the rest and comfort of his gentle yoke. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. He's not a tyrant. You can find peace under the authority of Jesus Christ. You know, Matthew records this instance, and right after, he records a parable that's not recorded in the other gospels that Jesus tells to point out to these men kind of what their, their decision is saying to them and their decision is making. If you want, you can turn to Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. And read along with me because Jesus is making a strong point to them that this is very important about his authority. Matthew 21 28 through 32. Jesus continues and he says, What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, My son, go work in the vineyard today. He answered, I don't want to. But later, changed his mind, and went. Then the man went to the other son and said the same thing. I will, sir, he answered, but he didn't go. Which of the two did his father's will? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you, John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. But you, when you saw it, didn't even change your minds then and believe it and believe him. The cross of Jesus Christ separates these two groups. Which one are you? Are you the first son or the second son? Are you in the first group or the second group? Are you in the group that says, I believe in Jesus Christ, I submit to his authority, I accept his control and will on my life? The cross of Jesus Christ separates those two. And the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners and those who have done all kinds of heinous things follow Jesus and found salvation. The Bible clearly says that they will know us by our fruit of obedience as Christians. We need to submit to Jesus and experience the eternal life and the abundant life that obeying his will and submitting to his authority gives us. We need to stop saying no to the authority of Jesus Christ, personally and corporately, personally and as a body of Christ. Submit to Jesus's will. So in conclusion, Jesus, Jesus, pointed to clear evidence that he had the authority of God on his side. That he was speaking, teaching, clearing temples, because God had seen him to do that. But the rebellious leaders wouldn't even entertain it. They wouldn't listen to it. They wouldn't respect it. They wouldn't heed it. So, let's think about this for a second. As we, as believers in Jesus Christ, at the Earlier in the the sermon, I gave a verse where Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Well, let me finish that passage for you because this is why he said that. Hear it all together right now because this is on every one of us, every one of us. Jesus said, this is at the end, the very end. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And if you say you follow Christ, if you come to this church body and you claim eternal life, then this command is on you, for you is calling you to go and tell others about Jesus. It's hard. It's not easy. But thank God we have all the authority of all creation, of the whole trinity on us. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. And we have that authority because he's with us to the end of the age. We shouldn't fear anything. Why should I fear? The evidence is clear. Jesus is on our side. So we can share our faith with others. Thank God we have the authority of Jesus. And he is with us to the very end. To make disciples, to baptize people, to teach disciples to do the same thing we're doing. Take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Or just across the street or across the back fence. That's our purpose. That's why he left us here. Otherwise, why not save us and just take us to heaven? He left us here to be a witness, to be a testimony, to be an example of what Jesus Christ has done for us and what he can do for others. So let's ask God to help us to submit to his authority this morning. As we take some pastoral prayer time, a time of silent prayer, let's let's pray that God will use us and we will experience the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives, in every aspect of it, in every corner, to be willing to go out and tell someone Help someone. Show someone the love of Jesus Christ. If you have spiritual needs or physical needs or emotional needs, this is a time to lift them up to the Lord too. Surrender them all to the authority of Jesus because he cares about them all. His burden is easy and his yoke is light. So let's have a time of prayer, and then I'll close this in a few minutes.